Welcome to Conversations from the ANF podcast. This is my first conversation in quite a while, and what a subject to come back to. This week I'm talking to Zach and Alison. Regular listener Zach got in touch with us after listening to Al and I discussing the new family social podcast on consensual non-monogamy recently. Zach and his partner Alison are from Southern Carolina in the United States, and they wanted to talk to us about what they call ethical non-monogamy. Not just about their relationship status, but also their journey through to adopting teenagers. We were keen to interview Zach and Alison without judgment, but to also really try to get to the bottom of what ethical non-monogamy means to them and their family. As ever, this is Zach and Alison's story. They talk openly about their status as a couple, but also they provide lots of information and statistics about the adoption process in South Carolina. If you would like to be on an episode of the ANF podcast conversations, then please do get in touch. You can contact us either via our socials on the direct message or DM or by emailing anfpodcast at gmail.com. So today I'm joined by Zach and Alison. Hi guys. Hello. Hello. So um, different accent as well to what we'd be used to on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, tell us, where are you joining us from today? So um, we live in the state of South Carolina in the United States. Cool. And what made you, what made you want to come on the podcast? Um, so you were talking, you and the other co-host was talking um, a couple of weeks ago about um, ethical non-monogamy and its overlap in um, adoption and fostering. And, and I, I took issue with some of the understanding and the characterization um, and particularly about being honest with the caseworkers and about disclosure. Mm. Um, and we, um, we are, we are poly, um, we are bisexual um, and we didn't disclose any of that to our caseworker. Um, yeah. And we, we felt we had reasons to do that. Yeah. So it should be an interesting chat. Um, safe to say that um when we talked about it on the podcast, I'm not defending ourselves here, but obviously it's something that we know nothing about. <laughs> so, you know, as, as two awesome podcasts, that's why we have these conversations so that people can learn about them. So I'm really interested to hear about it. Um, and um, I know that Al um, is very interested to hear about it as well. So start from the beginning then. So how long, how long have you guys been together and, you know, um, so we met in 2016 online dating and, um, I I'd just come out of a relationship. Um, Allison had been out of a relationship for a couple months at that point. And one of the reasons my previous relationship broke up was I wanted some form of not, um, ethical non-monogamy. Okay. Um, and so during our fir- um, first and second date, somewhere around that time range, you know, I'd only know, I'd only been talking to her for a few weeks at this point. And I'd adopted the philosophy that I wanted to get all the deal breakers out in the open and you either accept them or I'm going to move on before I invest too much time. Right. And so um, one of them, you know, I told her I would buy. I told her that um, I wanted some form of ethical non-monogamy. I told her I wanted kids, you know, th- th- these various things that are, you can't have to do them. So it, it's either you accept them or the relationship doesn't continue. And I wanted to get that out of the way pretty early. Mm-hmm. For me, I was open to kids, but I wasn't having kids for many medical reasons. Right. Um, so I didn't want to have my own kids biologically. So I had to find someone who was open to, um, either not having kids or adoption or foster care, something like that. Okay. And, and what was that like for you when Zach laid it on the line, really? I guess that's the only way I can describe it, um, about what he wanted. I mean, was that something that shocked you or how did you feel? No, I felt great. Um, I didn't mind getting all the deal breakers out of the way because I led with some of mine as well. Um, Mm. 
And when he said the ethical non-monogamy, I was like, oh, I suggested that in previous relationship and it had been turned down. So this is something I actually really wanted. Um, I was willing to accept monogamy, but it's something that I prefer. Okay. Yeah. And so go on. Sorry, Zach. um, Do you want to talk about the different forms of ethical non-monogamy? I was just going to ask you that very question. I was going to say, can you define, can you define what it actually means for, for those that might not be very clear on it? So the ethical part means it's consensual, that everyone's aware and consenting. That's the most important bit. Um, non-monogamy, of course, means you're not monogamous, as in you have multiple partners that can be sexual, that can be romantic. Um, it varies widely specifically we're polyamorous and what that means is we're open to multiple romantic and sexual partnerships okay and then there's there's also don't ask don't tell there is an open relationship and then there's also polygamy so it's quite a spectrum then which is you know (laughs) the way of the world these days isn't it (laughs) yes (laughs) so um so yeah so, so well Continue on, just, you know, chat away and tell us, tell us what you want to tell us about it, because um, we need to know. So for, for me, I, I struggle with the don't ask, don't tell form of, you know, intentionally being deceitful with your partner. Um, you know, y- your partner has to put on these blinders to pretend they don't know that you're out with another partner. Um, and, and that's not, that's not, I, I, I can't do that. And so um, I gravitated towards either openness or poly, and we ended up settling on poly. Yeah, I, I can't do relationships without something romantic, so I can't really imagine. I was never somebody for the hookup culture or anything like that. It's not me. Mm-hmm. And, and th- that's typically where the openness comes is. Um, that- Hookups without attachments. Yeah. So, I, I I started this off by saying it's your conversation, but I feel like I'm asking so many questions. Sorry. So um, the the definition the definitions you've given us, you say poly is is how you define yourselves. So is that then that it's a relationship thing and not just hookups? Is that have I got that right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. We- we we are able to have full romantic and sexual relationships with others, um, either individually or um, like Allison or myself can have a partner exclusively um, without the other spouse. Okay, right, yeah, that's just need to get that clear. Um, in in our circumstances, um, we've had a um, shared boyfriend for a year and a half, pushing a year and a half now. Year and like three months. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she'll remind you the anniversary when it comes. Back. Yes. <laughs> so, um, ki- kids always. I always wanted kids, um, and I was fine not having biological kids. Um, due, due to some reasons, Allison has she. She did not want to have any biological kids. So, biological kids were kind of off the table, you know, even really before we begin the relationship. Um, and so we started looking at adoption, fostering. Um, and initially I was more wanting younger. That was more naive, um, you know, stereotypical adoption, younger. Um, and in the training process, I, I've come to um the the realization that um we probably should do teenagers um right. and so that that's where we ended up and I, I wanted to give a little bit of statistics on the South Carolina system um for to help put it in perspective um South Carolina it's in the south it's very conservative um it's had a republican leadership for decades hmm. um and um in looking at the statistics, the federal um, health and human services puts out, um, does the data collection and puts out the information. Um, and South Carolina is roughly the same size um, 
population wise as Ireland. Um, and so for the statistics, these are all from 2020 there. Um, and a lot of these numbers were a snapshot at a particular time in September of 2020. Hmm. There was 4,000, roughly 4,000 kids in foster care um, in South Carolina. 551 kids were adopted out of foster care into um, permanent adoptive homes in 2020. Um, the average stay in foster care before exiting foster care was 14 months. Um, there were 660 kids with, um, we abbreviate it as TPR, it's termination of parental rights, um, which means a judge has legally separated the legal connection between a child and a parent. Um, mm -hmm. And here in the U.S., that is done separately for the mother and the father. Um, they have... They, if the father is known, they have to get a termination of parental rights from him. If it is not known, they will exhaust all possible options to um, identify the father and get that um, print, uh, get that termination. It can be voluntary um, termination, so the the parent can voluntarily sign the order, um, or if the judge feels like the parent is no longer capable and will probably not be capable of taking care of the child, they will, uh, the judge will order a termination of parental rights. Um, there was six in 2020, there were 1600 kids waiting for adoption in South Carolina. Um, when kids exited foster care, 72% of them were reunited um, with um, the biological family, primarily the parents um that does that 72 percent does not include kinship care um that right. is that is separately reported um and then 16 percent of kids were adopted um of kids that exit at um who entered um into the system at 12 years old or older only two percent are adopted um the there is some reunification but a large percent of the kids who exit after they come into the system at 12 um, end up aging out. Mm -hmm. um, five, sorry, five percent of kids who are 15 or older are adopted. Um, the vast majority of them are um, age out. And uh, I'll, I'll email you the link to the statistics if you want to put it. Yeah, that that'd be really good, actually. Yeah, we can put that in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, those, it's, it's interesting to hear you talk statistics that are quite thorough because, um, you know, our system wouldn't record it quite as thoroughly. But what does surprise me is, well, I, I think the system in the, in the US always surprises me anyway because it's, it's, um, it's a little bit different to the to the one that we have here. Obviously, you know, the majority of children in the UK are adopted as a result of um, being through the social care system and um, through you know neglect, abuse, etc. Um, and we're talking about you know almost all of them. Yep. Uh, there's very few um, babies that are adopted, uh, etc. So I'm sure you know that, know that already because it sounds to me like you're quite well informed about the different adoption systems, but. Yeah, th these statistics are all for through the state agency, um, mm. through the state child care agency. Um, there is th this doesn't factor in any um, private adoption, and in fact, we have a friend who did a private infant adoption, right? And you know, it was probably you know thirty thirty five thousand dollars, yeah, and various fees. It, it, it's not. In the U.S., it's not legal to buy babies, but mm. that's kind of what it turns into right, after yeah. all the addition, all of the costs and fees that go into it. Mm. So, just just returning back then to the, 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 what you said when you did the training about changing your mind on kind of the age range of children that you would consider. Um, what um, what was it that kind of instigated that change? Um, it might sound a little sappy. Um, they, they did. Um, they um, aired two PSA public service announcement type commercials um, in the training, and it 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 highlighted um, teenagers, you know, 15, 16 years old that are in the care system 
hmm. um, that, you know, they, they're in need of, of help too. Um, and, and one thing that also stuck out to me um, in, in the, um, I'll go more detailed of what the training looked like, but in one of the early orientations, really before it is, it's like more of an informational tutorial. Um, I, one thing that stood out to me was the trainer person said, um, basically to the effect of if you're here for a seven-year-old or younger, um, that is not part of a sibling group, just leave now. You're not needed right. to go away. Mm. Um, and after getting in and looking at the kids who are in the system, there are extremely few that are available for adoption that are under the age of 10. Right. Um, almost, almost exclusively all teenagers. Um, okay. And um, the, the train, the training process looked like for us was you signed up through a website um, that gets you your basic contact information um, basic, real basic information. And then you were dropped in to a, um, we did this in, um, 2020, um, late 2020. So all of it was virtual. Yeah. Um, the to total process about eight months. Um, and so they dropped us into an orientation where I would almost describe it as, um, shaking out the chaff. So they, they were, they were trying to find people who were, they were trying to weed out the non-committals um, mm. to try to thin, thin it down to people who were more serious and who wanted to continue with the process. Um, there was more filling out paperwork. Um, then there was um, two virtual sessions of training um, that, maybe started at like a nine o'clock on a Saturday and ran until about three o'clock. Um, and that was two Saturdays and it was more the procedural, um, you know, as a foster parent, you, you are a mandatory reporter for child abuse. If, if you're told child abuse, you must report it to DSS. Um, some of the procedural stuff, um, around, um, it, it, it was a lot of procedural stuff. Um, definitely no parenting type information. Mm, okay. Um, Some of it was bringing the house up to code. Yep. Things like that. You know, what type of fire alarms you would need. Those sort of basic things that you need to do to be able to become a foster parent or adopt. Yeah. Um, highlighting the regulations around like swimming pools, about fencing and gate right. and latches. Um, did a did a short segment on shaking baby syndrome um, and different various um, I would call them basic parental child care of infants. Mm. Um, definitely not a whole lot um, of the older ages, um, and they, to my surprise, um, so the training is not offered directly by DSS. It is outsourced to, to an agency called the South Carolina Foster Parents Association, which is a nonprofit. Right. And th they kind of run all the training for DSS. And mm -hmm. um, DSS has a contract with them and so somehow they, they make it work. Um, and surprisingly, in the training, one of they had a segment on LGBT. Um, mm -hmm. which being from South Carolina, that was a, quite a surprise. Um, uh, unfortunately, some of the comments from the training or after that segment from the other participants, the other parents were very disheartening, um, very homophobic, very bigoted. And unfortunately in, in this state, that's, that's, that's the norm. You know, mm. it's that that's the norm and it's and it's absolutely legal. Um <laughs> is that just in case you're talking too too long, Zach, that you were looking at Alison like that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at the way he's moving the microphone towards me. Um yeah, one guy, the very bigoted opinion was, you know. Uh, talking about genders and stuff and some guy just goes 
You know, oh, well, they, they don't know at that age. They just don't know. That 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 never crosses their mind unless we tell it to them, basically, was what he was getting at. And right. Um, and he was already living with the child. It, it was a he was in the training for a kinship type placement. And so he already knew the child. Child maybe been eight, nine, ten years old, and very very dismissive. It, the attitude that he gave me was pray away the gay. That okay. if if you just pray hard enough, the gay will go away. Hmm. Um, and un- unfortunately, that's you know conversion therapy and pray away the gay is still on. Even in 2022, it's still very common in this state, and and it's entirely legal. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that <clears throat> um, from what I see on social media, obviously, um, the last kind of I don't know two years. In the U.S., it's, uh, it seems to be taking backward steps instead of forward steps. And, you know, the hope was with the new administration that things might change. But, I mean, it's just... Unfortunately, here in the in the U.S., all, um, the states hold a lot of power, and particularly the the government, uh, the governors of the states and the, the, elector, the mm. legislative body of each state. And um, South Carolina is one of the states that um, passed a um transgender sports law that um bans basically the biological sex is the team you have to play on no exceptions yeah Yeah. um and um one of the reasons so later on in the training or in the licensing process we ended up having some one-on-one sessions um there was a 30-minute house check um, basically, they come in, they they look at the house, and that not much more. Then we had about an hour phone call with a caseworker, um, and she asked questions, and we made the conscious decision not to disclose that we were poly. Mm. Um, in 2019, um, there's a um, a religious. Um, a Christian religious um, agency nonprofit here in South Carolina called Miracle Hill. Um, And in 2019, they petitioned the federal government to um, ask for a waiver from an Obama era regulation that prohibited discrimination based on religion. Um, And they, with the help of the state of South Carolina, um, pressured the federal government and got a waiver so that they could deny working with families based on religion alone. Um, and um, the big example that got in the news was there was a Jewish family that was denied because they were not good, upstanding Christians. And there was a Catholic family that was denied because they were the wrong kind of Christian. They were not born again Christians. Um, which is, is, a, is born again as a Protestant concept. Uh, mm. A very common bias here in the South, especially among Southern Baptists of if you're not Southern Baptist, then you're not a real Christian to them. Um, and so our, our examiner, our caseworker, one of the questions she asked is what church do you go to? Not do you go to church? Mm. But which church? And she was soliciting a denomination, and we're but we're both atheists, and we told her, you know, we didn't tell her we were atheists. We just said we don't go to church. Mm. Um, and so that it is our understanding that legally DSS cannot deny you based on race, gender, age, uh, religion. Um, but as long as they don't list the religion as the reason for the denial, they can they can deny you for whatever they want. Mm. Um, now they'll get in trouble if they list religion as a reason denied, but as long as they don't list it, they're fine. They can deny you for whatever reason they want. Um, and so we really didn't tell them about the poly. Um, and it, I don't think it it would have affected the process. Um ha, you know us not telling them it's not like that was a piece of information that was critical um you know in in the licensing process they asked us 
for the, um, and had to have background checks for all the adults in the house. Yeah. Our partner doesn't live in the house, so I, I, we felt that it was irrelevant um, to to their examination. Interesting. So, uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I assumed it was going to be there was going to be blockers if you were LGBT or you know something like that, but not because of religion. So, uh, essentially, I mean, you you're answering the question, and you're not really telling any lies. <laughs> That 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 is that is correct. We did not lie, but we were yeah. we didn't tell the whole truth. Mm, yeah, but I mean, you know, I think that anybody going through this process is going to, you know, um, and I don't don't think. Well, I'm I'm speaking probably not for the majority because some people would go, "How dare you say this?" But um, I would imagine that a lot of people do. Not, I don't want to use the word hide, but hide something that they're you know asked or make it sound better than it actually was or you know um you know a lot of people who think that their childhood is going to have a negative impact on the outcome of them going through the process you know as an example so they may minimize abuse or neglect or something that they've had thinking that that's not something that a social worker is going to be um you know uh too too happy about but actually it could have the opposite you know it could actually you know, expedite your kind of your process. So I, well, I yeah. so, something like that did come up um, specifically for me um, as part of the licensing process, they check your name against their own internal private database. Right. Um, and mine came up from my childhood for a couple of things. And hmm. um, I had to write almost a page um of an explanation of what happened, what do I remember, um, you know, so, cause I mean, they, they had their report and they, they were wanting what was my side. Yeah. Well, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, part of the licensing process um, that we had to go through was um, we had to, we had to fill out medical forms um, and they had to be filled out by um, our doctor and, um, you know, for both of us, we see specialists. Um, and as soon as the doctor wrote on the form, like for mine, I have a heart condition. And um, one of the questions on the form was, how is his heart condition? And the doctor wrote, um, you know, I, I will not comment on this. He has a cardiologist. Um, yeah. And so as soon as DSS saw that, they went, oh, here we have a form for the cardiologist to fill out. Um, and so every time one of these specialists came up, we'll go, well, well, we need their medical opinion too. Um, so specifically, um, like his cardiologist took a little while to get back. So that was just the office dragging their feet. Um, but for me, I had a psychiatrist and um, this psychiatrist, so at the beginning of 2020, my psychiatrist retired and his partner got all the people. And so I had met with him once before, virtually. And so I've, you know, talked to this guy for about five minutes going, yeah, I just want to continue my meds and moving on. And um, he basically told me, and he, he wrote this down, this was in our home study, that because I was still seeing a therapist for my childhood issues and my things that I go to therapy for, I was not going to be a fit parent. That, uh, that was his official medical um, diagnosis. Um, fortunately, we had some great people at DSS helping us with the case because they came back and said, that's ridiculous. And they called him and they talked to him going, we want our parents in therapy. We, we suggest that everybody who's not in therapy gets in therapy <laughs> for <Right>. this process. <laughs> mm. And um, I was able to also switch psychiatrists because I didn't like him that much. And then he did that and I was just furious. So <laughs> I switched, but um 
Yeah, it was quite the, it, but it's in the home study that he like backpedaled and retracted his statement and stuff. And then I got a new one. <laughs> it's all yeah. there. So, so the overall process looked like we did, um, there was the orientation, there was two trainings. Um, there was a visit by the fire marshal, uh, the state fire marshal. So his job was to inspect the house from a fire safety point of view. He checked smoke detectors, fire extinguishers, um, window sizes. So he, he went around and measured windows and bedrooms to make sure they were big enough because they, there's a certain size they have to be to meet code. Um, fortunately, all of that was in compliance. Um, and then we had a, a woman from DSS do a home visit and check the overall condition of the home. Um, and then we had a one hour, roughly one hour session, um, individual session with with um, the, a caseworker. And that was really it as far as our interaction, um, either in person or virtual for the entire licensing process. Um yeah. There was no panel. Um, there, there was no. There wasn't that concept to, to get the licensing, to be to be a licensed foster parent. Um, and in order to adopt from foster care, you have to be a licensed foster parent to begin with. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, so we ended up doing. It was a couple of hundred pages of paperwork. Um, they wanted um, like one one example of like paperwork is they wanted bank bank statements. They wanted um, they, they didn't they didn't just want like pay stubs and stuff. They wanted three years of tax returns. <laughs> um, so once you print that out, like each tax return is like a hundred pages. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Um, I don't think we have that here, thankfully. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we have software that does that helps fill it out, but the, mm. the complete it's called a W two. The complete W two form is like a hundred pages per year, and they wanted three years worth. Cool. Um, and so we also had to fill out paperwork like firearm safety um, that says if you have firearms in the house that they are locked up. Yeah. Um, that they're stored properly. Um. um about stuff about pools. Um, um, there was a corporate punishment agreement that stated that corporal punishment may not be used. Um, there was um, one of the things was one thing that was um, sobering and eye-opening was they called it the child factor checklist. Um, it's about eight pages um, and it's a rating score of between one, a zero and five or one and five, something like that of what is your willingness to accept a child with X, Y, Z and zero is not at all. And one is absolutely. And so, or five. Um, and so um, they asked like, you know, the common of, you know, age range, race, um, gender, um, you know, whether they're, they'll come with um, siblings. Um, and then they started going into some like diagnosis of, you know, um, do they have disabilities? And they, they, they list specific disabilities hmm. um, and diagnosis is, you know, have they been diagnosed with bipolar? Have they been diagnosed with schizophrenia? Have they been, um, you know, psychosis? All, you know, there was hundreds of these diagnoses um that you know would you accept a child with this um and some of the other ones that were more eye-opening was um a child that's been convicted of a felony um someone that's been convicted of arson someone that's been convicted of abuse you know of child abuse themselves or sexual mm. abuse being the predator um one one um one was would you accept a child who was currently pregnant um, in generally in South Carolina, if the mother is also in foster care, the child will immediately go into what would be under foster care. And mm. then they will decide if it is best for the baby to stay with the mother or not. Yeah. 
Um, so th- there was like eight pages of that child factor checklist um, and a, a bunch of other paperwork. And from the time when we started the process until we heard back that we were licensed, it was about eight months. Um, so that was roughly like November, October, November of 2020 to June of 21. Mm. Um, what what time to be alive that was yeah um <laughs> i mean that that did that did that have an impact on it the fact that you know it was all virtual or um i i think that i think that severely degraded the quality of the training mm-hmm. um I, there was in, in the training i felt like there wasn't that much of peer to peer conversation yeah. mm-hmm. it was mainly instructor to peer uh, to student or to parent. Um, yeah. And um, I also felt like some of the processes were a lot slower because of COVID, um, like doing the home visit schedules, um, getting the fire marshal out, you know, th- things like that. A lot of that was slower yeah. because of COVID. Um, yeah. And so we got, once we got our license, um we started looking at um, kids and in South Carolina, they have the portal. They just call it the portal. And it's, it gives um, little bios um, on kids who are available for um, placement to be adopted. So these are placements with the intent of adoption. And um, we done a couple inquiries, which basically you go through the website, you put in your information, you put in your basic information and they will then pull your home study. The the caseworker for that child will pull your home study, review your home study and all the information you filled out and see if you're a good fit. Um, If you are a good fit, they will then bring you in um, to a session where they are legally required to disclose everything they know about the child. So any diagnosis, any history, family history, they have to disclose it. Um, And then from there, you then decide, do you want to move forward? And if you decide to move forward, then they will, then the caseworker will then um, inform the child about you um, and arrange to see if the child wants to meet you and then arrange the first meeting. Hmm. Um, and so we, we did a couple inquiries and, um, after talking with the caseworker for the child, it really wasn't a fit for us. Um, and so what we kind of just, you know, not put paused on the process, but just kind of, you know, a little bit backburnered it. Um, and, um, our caseworker, um, asked us, um, what we were talking to her about you know, options. And she, she, I don't want to call it guilt tripped, but she definitely laid the on thick about um, becoming um, emergency placement. So um, emergency placement fostering is you could get a call and you have roughly 30 minute notice before there's a child on your doorstep. Mm. Um, And she, she was putting it, putting it on thick about that. You know, there's a child in the office right now who you know, we're still trying to find a placement for, but we're, we're struggling. And this was on a Friday, Friday afternoon. And we told her, you know, give us till Monday. We will finish getting ready. Cause we, we didn't have any of the necessary items for emergency placement, you know, change, mm. a change of clothes for various kit sizes, you know, yeah. different essentials for, you don't know what situation this kid was in 30 minutes ago, but they're now on your doorstep and you have to take care of them. Yeah. Um, and so we asked for the weekend to prepare for that. Um, we told her Monday um, and um we we heard an acknowledgement, but we didn't. We went about two weeks without hearing a call um, about a placement, um, and so we finally did get a call from um, Diessa, our caseworker, and it was about uh, the girls. Um, they they told us a little bit, and 
So we set up a meeting for a few days later um, uh, to meet the caseworker um, on a Friday. And in that session, it was um, the girl's caseworker and um, their and her supervisor. Um, we had a presentation um, where um, it was like 30 something pages worth of history. Um, basically, again, everything DSS knows. Hmm. And um, I feel bad for the caseworker, but apparently it's their procedure. They have to read the entire document aloud. Okay. Um, so it was about two and a half hours <clears throat> to read all of that information. Um, and um, one thing I thought was interesting is, is they don't put any names of like family. They, it was maternal grandmother, maternal aunt, mother, father. It, it was, it was um, no actual names. It was just, their their relationship status um and so that was on a friday maybe four or five o'clock we got out of there on a friday um and we we emailed her um monday or we met, emailed her over the weekend saying we wanted to move forward um and um the girls um at the time were 15 and 17 um, a pair of sisters. Mm. Um, they'd been in the they'd been in the system for a while, and um, so um, Monday, Tuesday, still working on logistics, um, informing the current foster parent um, about the potential change in placement, um, and we meet the girls for the first time on that Wednesday. So we're we're just a few days after learning about them. We meet them for the first time in a, um, in a park here in town. And, um, we ended up going to dinner with them. Um, it was two hours, three hours or so. Mm. And, excuse me, my leg hurt. and, um, and there, we're just trying to get to know them. It's, it's, it was very awkward at first. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it, it's like a blind date from hell. Um, <laughs> the, the stakes are really high. Um, the power differential is really high too. You know, the, we are not on equal footings, you know, as far as what's at stake, what's at risk at, as the girls, you know, they're shy, they're nervous. So are we. Yeah. Um, but we end up talking to them um, and, um, they only found out about us Tuesday. So the day before meeting us, they found out about us. Yeah. And what they found out about us was very light on details. Um, and so a lot of the introduction was telling us about us. And, you know, later on in the conversation, it'd be like, you know, if y'all came to live with us, these are some house rules. This is what, you know, the structure would look like, you know, here's our pets. Um mm -hmm. <clears throat> and um so we 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 get we finish with them Wednesday evening um and due to some circumstances on their end they needed to leave pretty quickly and so um they ended up moving in with us that Friday so like 3 days after 2 days after meeting them they were moved in fast Yes. Um, and un unfortunately, the stereotype of how, how to um, spot a foster kid is look for a child carrying their stuff in a in a plastic mm. garbage bag. Yeah. And unfortunately, this this was the case, too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that's quite common across the world, actually. Yeah. It's and and um, I remember probably six months or a year ago, y'all actually did a talked to someone with an organization that was yeah. um, working to give bags mm -hmm. to that. Yeah. And I, that, that episode was such, such heartbreaking, but eye-opening at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, and, and then seeing how they came, it, it, it was very emotional because it's, mm. you know, they, they had all of their possessions that they had in essentially trash bags. Yeah. 
I think we can all agree that's not the the way we'd want to treat any child, is it? Agreed. Um, if yeah. Well, they moved in, so you know. <laughs> yeah, so they 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 move in, and um, they were with us for about two months at this point, and in watching some movies and TV shows, we we noticed that they had some. I call it stereotypical norm, um, societal norms with um, jealous, you know, their attitudes towards jealousy and romantic feelings and monogamy and non-monogamy and usual kind of biases most monogamous culture has. Yeah, you know, like you must be jealous if your partner is looking at another person. Um, or, you know, a, I know, um, an affair, a cheating, it, it must be an, an extinction level event. It must be broken up, um, classifying almost any type of glances or an emotional affair as full right cheating, you know, so some of these. We, we thought very toxic viewpoints. Um, mm. And so we decided to be, to tell them about um, us being Polly and us having a boyfriend. Because mm. um, at, at this point, they, they didn't know that there was a boyfriend involved. Um, and there was, the, the reaction was, a little bit shocked, a little bit worried. Um, one of them uh, mentioned that, you know, the first thing that went through her head was, you know, this is some gonna somehow going to break up our, our marriage and mm-hmm. destabilize the home. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, w- we tried to make, try to reassure her that, you know, that that wasn't the case that in, in fact, it probably makes our relationship stronger. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up inviting our boyfriend over for dinner because they had met him casually among friends. Mm -hmm. Um, But we invited him over for dinner and to like play games with us, like board games after dinner. And they were really nervous that it was going to be super awkward. And they were very pleasantly surprised. They were like, it wasn't awkward. It was actually a lot of fun. And it was, you guys are really relaxed with each other, (laughs) you know, and, um, yeah, so they they were relieved. Um, and so they they were play they were placed with us um, in um, around October last year, and f- with the intent of adoption. Um, yeah. And so um, in July we had the legal adoption of them. Okay, so that's still quite recent then, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they've only been with us just a little over a year now. Mm, yeah. I mean, so there's a couple of things, if I may. <laughs> the first is the fact that you, you know, have gone out um, and had, you've, well, you've not gone out, but you've, you've opened up your home to older children. I mean, that's very uncommon here at that age. You know, the, the oldest that um, a child could potentially be placed for adoption would be 10 years old in the UK. I mean, there are some exceptions, wow. of course, but through the care system, it would, you know, 10 is deemed as too old for adoption. So, you know, there's that. And I think, well, they, you know, they classify it as a special needs adoption here. Mm. Yep. So, um, yeah, anything, anything over, I think, age 10 and sibling, either one of those criteria, mm. and it's classified as a special needs. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, so to so to you know to have young people placed that, are that old is is you know remarkable really in in my head because that just doesn't happen here. I mean, obviously you have things like you know step parent adoptions and things like that when children are older. You know that that sort of stuff does happen, but certainly that age, you know, children would be in foster care or residential um, settings. You know, until they were kind of eighteen, and then they'd wow. be supported beyond that, hopefully. Um, uh, it's a bit of a, a lotto in terms of whether they do or not. So, and the other thing I was going to say was, it sounds to me like it was more a case of um, seeing you guys 
with your boyfriend was it probably just dispelled the worries that they had yeah. given what you what you explained to them and, and and I guess their backgrounds in terms of what they believed before you spoke to them yep yeah the i mean they they hadn't known anyone that was ethical non-monogamy until us and so mm. the only concept they had was what media was feeding them yeah um, and so them seeing us do it and do it well i think has helped yeah and how do they feel now you know you've july august september october november so we're four months after the adoption well what we'd call the adoption order you know did, is it just normal life is for them you know do they ask questions do they you know no, what I does mean, that look like um i mean we we hang out with um, the boyfriend um with the girls once or twice a month mm. um and it's you know it, it's all fun yeah, yeah. i love to see him i really like his company I guess people are going to want to know, I think, maybe they won't, <laughs> maybe this will just be on turn off. I mean, you know, this isn't, this isn't a, a, something, well, to me, it doesn't sound like it's something that's, you know, almost deviant culture where, you know, you're, you're slaughtering lambs to have them on the, you know, on, uh, on that sort of thing. I mean, reassure people that, that you know, that, that they're not exposed to kind of things that go on in the bedroom and stuff like, like any normal couple, because that's not what I'm getting. Yeah, we private stuff is private. And I mean, what we do when our boyfriend hangs out is we play board games or um, volleyball. Yep. Volleyball. Um, we've gone out to dinner. Hmm. Just normal stuff you do with family or friends, the family. Yeah. And do you find, because obviously you knew him before the girls came along, do you find that that's had an impact on that relationship in terms of, you know, the, how you see him, when you see him, how often regular, etc. It does change it. Um, our whole schedules changed completely. So mm. it definitely changes how often we see him. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what does he think of it? I mean, what does he think of you adopting and, you know, um, well, he knew when we met that that was um, in the plans that we were moving forward with it because we were already in the process um, and we had already been licensed when I met him because I met him first. Okay. And um, so he knew that things could change. He knew that, you know, at any point we could get a call and everything would be different. Mm. And um, he's been really good about it. Right. You know, I think going into that, knowing that this would happen, you know, at some point made it a lot easier yeah. and blindside him with it. Mm. And so my last question, really, um, plans for the future. I mean, you know, clearly you're in a relationship with this man as a couple. I mean, do you plan on, you know, him moving in any point or, you know, is it just, is this the way it is and this is the way it stays or, you know, or have you not even thought that far ahead yet? Um, currently, this is the way it is and this is the way it stays for at least a long time. I don't know what the future will hold, um, hmm. but current state of things, he wouldn't be moving in anytime soon. Yeah. If that were to happen ever. <laughs> and, and we... <laughs> We, we've talked about, um, you know, go, going back through the process and um, getting another placement at some point mm -hmm. in the future. Because, I mean, it, it's, you know, in two to three years, they're both going to be either moved out or in college. Yes. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, we don't have 10 years for them until, until they get to college. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In my 30s, so. Yeah. And how do you, uh, do you think you would deal with the process the same way? Unless there's major changes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's now a possibility for them to find out um, mm -hmm. about our polyness, but I, I don't think it would, I don't think it's going to be something we volunteer. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Um, and I was just just one final question, really final question. Now. Um, I mean, the 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 caseworkers and social workers and stuff, you know, they've all they disappeared out of your life. Um, um, yeah, for the most part, um, we we're still trying to do. Um, we got a little bit of more paperwork to um, with, around the adoption and stuff. Um, and I, I will say, the, the girls' caseworker, she is real great. Turns out she's also pretty liberal um, and she's also young. um, And from what we hear, caseworkers last about two years um, before they burn out. And um, for us, um, for she, we were her first teenage adoption that she's done. Right. I'm sorry about the dogs. They, no, no, it's all right. Don't worry. They're, they're going just, crazy. There's worse things that could be happening, to be honest. So first, first teenage, so she had a lot of new stuff going on for her as well, but, you know, been focusing in on, yeah, okay. Yeah, and um, it, was a, it was a little annoying with the, with the process of she would tell us one thing. <clears throat> we would ask for a little more details. She would go back to her manager and go, and have to backpedal some. Um, oh. she, she wasn't she wasn't quite familiar with all the ins and outs of the process, but she, she really did care for the girls and the girls really liked her, really like her. I mean, they, they still stay in occasional contact with her on a personal level, not, mm. not on a professional level. Yeah. Yeah. But as far as support, um, really from the point of DSS, for the most part, they're done. They, you know, adoption's done. Congratulations. Yeah. You know, sayonara. Um, yeah. That sounds familiar. <laughs> I mean, they, they are, they are still on Medicaid, which is the state insurance in as a secondary to our private insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so if our private insurance won't cover something, Medicaid would pick it up. Um, right. That will... We're not entirely sure when that ends. Um, does it end when they turn 18 or does it continue right. till some other date? We, we really haven't gotten a clear answer for that. Um, yeah. And one day it's just going to stop working and we're going to know. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like you want to try and hold on to that as long as possible, really, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, something else that one difference is. Um, you, y'all have always talked about how y'all's therapists have to be, I think, Ofsted registered. Yeah. Um, here in the States, there's there's none of that concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the therapists have no issue dealing with um, um, things related to adoption, trauma related to adoption, or even unrelated. Um, I mean, I've joked that we're single-handedly propping up the therapy industry in our area because for four people, there's five therapists. Yeah. Um, there's there's four individual therapists and then a family therapist. Yeah, right. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I, I won't make the comment I was going to make, but it does seem like it's a big business in the US and it's definitely not something that's kind of progressed that far here. But I would say that, you know, therapy and um, counselling and stuff for, you know, for young people who've experienced trauma has developed significantly. Um, Sadly, adopted adults can't access it quite as easily. Um, And like you said, the the therapist that they would deal with would have to be um, kind of registered to be able to provide those services. So there's no, you know, there's, there's, there should be no no kind of black market therapy going on and all that sort of stuff. But that's, that's hard because, you know, we know that beyond 18, there's still, there's still issues that need to be kind of dealt with if, if they can ever be dealt with, you know? So, yeah. Well, listen, guys, um, we're coming to up, up to the hour, and uh, I just wanted to thank you very much for sharing so much with us, especially the facts and figures, um, but not just that, the, the experience that you have as well, because I think people need to kind of hear how different people live, but also to try maybe judge less based on, based on what, what doesn't fit into their social norms. So I really do appreciate you um, coming on and talking to us and for contacting us, actually, and for listening to come there, because obviously <laughs> clearly you listen as well, if you, if you knew Ofsted. Um, but yeah, so thank you so much for coming on, and I wish the five of you all the luck. Thank you. 